I had a newspaper and I talked about, uh, I take the newspaper and I start shredding the newspaper and talk about how there are things in our life that get torn apart, but no matter how bad it gets, no matter what, if you'll just keep moving forward, it can be put back together. And the newspaper that's shredded into pieces just looks like, and I know this is going to sound odd, but it is the truth. It's shredded like this. And it just looks like it falls back together and becomes one. This is episode number 123 with illusionist and speaker Ken Harley. You're listening to American Snippets, the all-American podcast for those looking to dream bigger, live better, and make an impact. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. Once again, my name is Dave Brown. I'm a real estate investor, lifestyle entrepreneur, coach, and the co-host here, along with my partner, Gold Star Wife, author, and speaker, Barbara Allen. And we're going to get right into this week's episode. We are really excited to have Ken Hartley on the show. And you know, people don't usually like to be deceived, but when Ken Hartley does it, they absolutely love it. That's because Ken has spent years mastering the art of illusion, and he uses his talents to make an impact on audiences all over the world. Ken's story of rising from the once bully child to the international illusionist and speaker is packed with powerful insight on personal growth and well-crafted lessons on leadership, as well as fun stories about the art of magic. So without further ado, here is Barbara Allen with Ken Hartley. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. Hey there, welcome to another episode of American Snippets. I'm your co-host, Barb Allen. Very excited to be sitting down here today with Ken Hartley, who we got to meet back when uh, we attended and spoke at the greater event, Marie Cosgrove's event, who you may remember we featured Marie earlier on American Snippets. She has her own incredible story. So it makes sense she surrounds herself with incredible people like Ken Hartley. Ken is a majorly accomplished professional in fields that are majorly difficult to accomplish himself in. He is an inspirational speaker, a singer, an illusionist, an actor, an author. He is an associate pastor and an MC, as well as a certified human behavior consultant on top of probably about nine zillion other areas I did not mention because we'd be here all day, but maybe we'll get him to mention them here in a little bit. Ken has a story, his own story of overcoming challenges, as we all do, and his own unique, unique take on how to do that. And he has some amazing fun along the way and impacts people in very powerful ways. As we know he's going to impact you too. If you just sit back, take a listen, and dig in with us. Ken, thank you so much for being here today. It is an honor to be here with you, Barb. Yay. Dude, man, you are fun. You are fun, fun. I have never really got to see uh, an illusionist perform in person. And I had honestly no idea what we were about to see that night, you know, uh, went at the greater event in Texas. And I know you only gave us a little taste there. So let's go first into that part. I think people are going to be like most intrigued about maybe is your career as an illusionist. T tell us what you do. Well, I started when I was about eight years old. My grandparents yeah gave me a little magic set like for Christmas. And my grandmother loved card tricks. That was really her thing. And so 
every Christmas, it just became a thing where I would learn a card trick. And then when we would go to my grandmother's house for Christmas, I would show her a card trick. I didn't tell any of my friends I did this stuff because my goal in uh, junior high, high school was to be below the radar. Uh, so I didn't have any really ambitions toward that until I was about 22 years old. And I realized the message possibilities of it, that doing the illusions actually opened doors for, for me to be able to give a message and give it in a creative way. So that's when I really started developing it. And through some incredible mentors that I had, I was able to develop the skill and use it in more large scale stage illusion type things. And it's been a fun, fun journey. Yeah. So talk about these stages that you're on now and the how you use illusions in, in your message and in speaking. Well, uh, illusions are, they're multifaceted. Uh, they have a lot of different, different applications depending on what the illusion is. There's one, okay, I'll just use this just last week. Um, let's see, I was speaking in Georgia. Uh, that was Saturday actually. And I had a newspaper and I talked about, uh, I take the newspaper and I start shredding the newspaper and talk about how there are things in our life that get torn apart, but no matter how bad it gets, no matter what, if you'll just keep moving forward, it can be put back together. And the newspaper that's shredded into pieces just looks like, and I know this is going to sound odd, but it is the truth. It's shredded like this. And it just looks like it falls back together and becomes one. That's just wild, wild how you do that. And, you know, I've seen some illusionists perform like, you know, online or in TV, but I just, I can't get it. And sometimes you all kind of creep me out a little. You creeped me out a little bit with that. I'm like, whoa, like what is that? <laughs> uh, but in a good way, you know, in a crew, in a good okay, way. Good. I'm glad you said that in a good way. In a, in a very good way. Not like a Freddy Krueger creep you out, but like, man, blows your mind, you know? And yeah, you just have to kind of sit back and surrender to the experience. And if for someone who kind of got a little riled up and like not enjoy feeling like you had one, like you were deceived or taken over, you know, if somebody's sensitive to that, you can get, it can kind of trigger you a little bit, but if you sit back and just like, really understand and respect the craft and marvel at it and then let that message come into you. It's very powerful. Well, thank you. And that, that's really the goal of it is to, is to inject a message, but do it in a way that they won't forget. Uh, you want yeah. them to retain what you're saying. That's of course the goal of every single speaker is for people to retain what they're telling them yeah. and let it, let life change get inside them. And I think the illusions are a good venue, a uh, good avenue. I should say for that. And that's, that's one of the, the goals of all of it. Now, at the same time, you want them to have fun. And something you touched on right there, I want to say too, you talked about suspending reality. Yeah. And it was a 20th century philosopher. His name was Elbert Hubbard. Uh, I did not say L. Ron Hubbard. I said Elbert <laughs> Hubbard. I want to yes. clarify that yep. very quickly. Good distinction. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yes. But Elbert <laughs> Hubbard said, I love magicians because they're honest deceivers. They tell you they're going to fool you and then they proceed to do it. But afterwards, you still have your watch, your wallet, and your appendix, which is more than I can say <laughs> for some of my non-magician acquaintances. Uh, and that's, that's what people great. want. They want to be fooled yes. uh, when they see that. But in real life, being fooled like that is not fun. Being deceived by somebody or stabbed in the back by somebody, it's not fun. And so that's really the core message in doing a lot of the illusions today is don't fall for the lie embrace the truth. Even though most of the time, what makes a lie an incredible lie is that it looks so much like it's got to be the truth. And you don't really find out it's a lie until you start unpacking it 
and get in the inside and realize, oh, this is bad. I mean, it's almost like an apple that looks wonderful and delicious on the outside and you take a bite and then the core's rotten. That's the way a lie is. Yeah. Very cool. And I love, I love the, um, you know, the ties you can do between the two and you could just go deeper and deeper and comparing the illusion and the lessons behind it. I mean, what a brilliant approach and not everybody could do that though. Talk about, so you were eight years old and you didn't know that you were going to get so into magic. You're grandparents just like on a whim got you this gift like that you had expressed no interest in magic before or anything and then it just kind of fell into your hands and you said okay yeah I'd I'd been my my father was a music professor at a university and so I'd been singing since I was about five years old just because he would put me out there and so I was on stage and I'd done done a little bit of stage acting and my grandparents, I think, saw that and thought, well, let's just give him this and see what he does with it. And it was something just an immediate connection and an interest to. I was, uh, magicians will say, I was bitten by the bug immediately. Yeah. And in, in learning to do just the basic ones, I guess the fun part for me, I grew up in Jackson, Tennessee, and I didn't know of really any other magicians in the area at all. I, that there, if there was a magic club or something like that, I didn't know about it. So all of the illusions that I did, and the magic I did was stuff that I taught myself or my older sister would get the instructions. And if that's something I didn't understand, she would read it to me and help me learn it. And she would show me, this is kind of what it says. But I found out the strength in doing the illusions was not just in the secret, which is where most people go, because that's the knee jerk reaction of everybody. You do yeah. something and go, how'd you do that? How'd you do that? Yeah. Everybody wants to know that, but that's really the least important question of all, because how you do it, I, I could explain to you in, 10 seconds, how David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Yeah. That doesn't mean somebody can do it. Right. David Copperfield, I, I personally think, is one of the greatest magicians that's ever been. And he, he is a presentation to it. There is a, a theatrical element. That's what makes the real magic. Because true illusion does not happen on a stage. True illusion happens in a person's mind. It's what they perceive happened. Uh, I've had people come up to me and, t- and describe an illusion I did and go, Hey, you did this and you did this. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, That's not what I did. <laughs> you think I'm way better than I really am <laughs> in their mind. That's what happened. And so that's how they perceive it. So in, in doing this, going back to it, I, I just learned how to do these bit by bit, but then not growing up around others, I didn't have anything to gauge off of or compare myself to or to copy. And I learned later on in life, that was a really good thing. Yes. Because I would have been a really bad imitation of other people. And instead, I kind of got my own performing style. And I, I, I'm proud of that today. I'm glad I don't look like other people. Yeah. So you mentioned in one clip that I saw of you online, and then you just said it here again, which is where I wanted to go, is that you didn't tell anybody you did magic because your goal was to fly under the radar. I am somebody who relates very deeply to that, the mantra and that self-preservation technique. That's what it was for me, self-preservation technique. But are you open to talking a little bit about that? Because I think that's something that's going to resonate with a lot of people as well. Absolutely. Why did you want to stay under the radar? Uh, You know, because I was, uh, (laughs) I just got level. I mean, I was such a little goofball and, you know, you get made fun of a lot and that's, those things, some of those things stay with you. And, yeah. you know, they, 
uh, the words, you know, were, you know, sticks and stones may break my bones. Names never hurt me. Not true. Uh, those things stay with you. And what they, what they do is, well, you know, they're just words. Yeah, I know. But those words lead to beliefs and those beliefs are eventually going to lead you to your actions and to self self-defeating and self-limiting behavior. If you internalize those things. And so you have to take the words that people, uh, that people put on you and decide, is that true or is it not? And so again, it all somehow comes back to these illusions, but in, in middle school, high school, I just tried to stay below that. It wasn't until my junior year in high school when I became the drum major of the band. And before then, hardly anybody knew who I was. Yeah. I uh, just, this nerdy little kid over there and then became the drum major and the band was really good. And we did competitions, statewide, nationwide competitions. We competed against bands from all over the country and I ended up winning an award as a drum major for the Southeast. And so That's then cool. all of a sudden, yeah, it was. Then all of a sudden there was a tension that was there, but it wasn't until I was out of college that I actually performed illusions publicly. I didn't do it. As a matter of fact, my, uh, my high school reunion, they had me come back for my 10 year reunion and they said, Hey, we heard that you actually do some of this stuff. Would you be willing to do it at, at the reunion? And I said, yeah, yeah, I'll show up. And people were just going, Oh my gosh, we had no idea. And I said, I know I didn't want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> and there's something even a little powerful in that, right? Like knowing you have that secret and knowing you're underestimated sometimes or, or overlooked a little bit. And when I said I relate to it, you know, I was one of those kids in sick from sixth grade to eighth grade, like literally immersed, not even just bullied is too, too light a word for it. Like literally just harassed the point of like being suicidal and all of that. So, you know, I understand that the need to fly below the radar and just kind of not be noticed and you're not there. And that's something that still will kind of surface in me today. I kind of try to like, you know, so, which is crazy that I will go on a stage, but you know, that's, that's like the challenge. Like, can you do it? Right. But you um, speakers say that same thing though. There are a ton of speakers that they're on stage right now that never had a desire, never wanted to be up there and they get up there and people go, Oh my gosh, uh, my youngest son is as shy a kid as you'll ever meet. Yeah. When you talk to him, he'll, he'll look down and he'll go, uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. But you put him on a stage and give him a part he's an actor like you wouldn't believe. And people see that role on stage and go, oh my gosh, he's incredible. And they want to carry on this conversation with him afterwards. And after he's gone, boom, on the stage, dance, sing and all that. They walk up and go, he goes, thank you. <laughs> so I get that. Okay, I'm out. Exactly. That was a character. This is me. Yeah. Yeah. But it's cool to be able to channel into that kind of energy and, and tap into that flow and do that in spite of maybe it not being like your first instinct to do that. So what about like kids today? And this is something I like, I remember giving my kids a magic kit, even just, so now they're, my oldest is going to be 21. So it wasn't that too long ago when he was that eight year old kid or whatever. It seems like it. Right. But even then, even those years ago, if you give them a magic kit and they're like, oh, like, it's different today, right? Am I giving an eight year old kid a magic kit today versus giving an eight year old kid a magic kit? when you were eight years old, um, do you think like there's a lot competing or do you think that maybe people who would love it are overlooking or am I just like full of nonsense right now? No, 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 <laughs> not at all. No, the, the whole timbre of, of magic has really changed in the last 15, 20 years. Uh, before, you know, the, 
there was, uh, well, years ago, there was Harry Blackstone, and that was the, the bow tie, you know, tux. And people perceive magicians as this, you know, that's how they looked with, yeah. you know, the, the top hat, pull the rabbit out of the hat, the whole thing. It was very stereotypical. And then uh, back in the 70s, a guy came along, uh, Doug Henning, who was this hippie guy who was doing magic, you know, peace, love, and doing incredible magic tricks. And then David Copperfield came along in the 80s and became, and all of a sudden was this, on stage, he was incredibly cool. Yeah. Now, it's funny because you go back and look at the 80s stuff now and it doesn't look cool at all. But back <laughs> in the 80s, it was really cool. Uh, yeah. And that gave birth to guys like David Blaine, Chris Angel, right. uh, all these guys who have, who have come up. And now, you know, there's this, this whole cool aspect of magician that wasn't there previously. So I think it's a lot of why I, too, I stay below the radar because doing magic now, it's a little more cool than it was when I was growing up. True. Uh, and so if I look at some of those guys right now that are doing it, I look at a kid and if the kid gets a little magic set that has some dumb tricks in it. I wouldn't want to do them either. But a lot of guys are developing new, uh, new and improved magic kits that have some stuff in there that I'm, they're really good tricks. But again, it's not just in the secret. It's in the presentation of how you do it. Uh, there's nothing, nothing better than a magic thing that, that fools somebody and gets in their head. There's nothing worse than a magic trick that people go, Oh, I saw that. I know how yeah. to do it. <laughs> That's yeah. the worst. That's like telling a joke on stage and nobody laughs and you're like, Oh man. <laughs> yes. And you just sit there. Yeah. 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 Giving a talk. No one claps. All right, then I'm yeah. out. Um, <laughs> what was your first performance? How did you get it? How did it go? My first performance was at a church for a Sunday school class. Uh, and it was about, uh, 15 people. And I, I worked on that. <laughs> you have an idea of the personality too. I worked on that one show. It was a 30 minute show and I practiced for a month for an hour a day to put that 30 minute show together. And I still messed up one thing when I did it. Thankfully, nobody knew it and I was able to cover it and go right on. But when I, that's one of the, that was a moment when you do something and honestly for a magician, sometimes you do a trick and you get the secret of this and you're going to go, that's so stupid. That's not going to fool anybody <laughs> no, for that. But then when you actually do it and you go, wow, there's something really significant here. There's, this is something huge. This is, this has value. This has entertainment value, but it also has message value. When you realize that you go, I need to put the correct work into this. And that was the other thing from the, you know, the standpoint of, you know, I'm, a, I'm a person of faith. And from the standpoint of, I'd seen a lot of people who were labeled Christian magicians that were, were just lousy. I mean, they're just not good. And I said, I don't want to be one of those. So that's why I saw mentorship. And that's, that's such a power in finding the right mentors. Yes. Uh, the guy that taught me, Stage Illusion is the same guy that came up with the idea of the Statue of Liberty disappearing for David Copperfield. Really? Same how guy. You, so let's stop there for a second. Okay. A, how did you identify that person? And then B, how did you go from identifying that person saying, wow, and getting him to mentor you? That's a great question. Yeah. I think uh, if you want it bad enough, you're going you're gonna to look into it. And, but there are also moments that 
where life will intersect what you're wanting. And you have to be consciously looking for those moments. You have, there is a certain level of awareness that you have to have that realize, wait a minute, there's two things going on here and they're intersecting right now. And if I don't take advantage of this, that moment may never cross me again. So there was a guy coming through town. His name was Andre Cole. Uh, Andre and it's Cole spelled with a K and I'd never heard of him. And he was a magician uh, with Campus Crusade for Christ, which is an organization. And he, he was coming to town and I thought, well, he's a magician. I'll go see him. And I went to this show, this illusionist, and I mean, he blew my mind there. And I, I had a, a decent knowledge of how things worked. And he just absolutely destroyed me in the audience. I had no clue how he was doing stuff. Well, then right before the last illusion he's about to do, he goes, let's watch this quick video. And the it's David Copperfield on the video. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Copperfield. You're about to see the greatest stage illusion you've ever seen in your life. For my friend, Andre Cole. And I went, this guy knows David Copperfield. Uh, yeah. And so I'm, I'm watching it. And he had a, this, this huge Statue of Liberty on the stage. It was like made out of marble, weighed, uh, I don't know, six or 700 pounds. And he put this curtain around it. And then he started raising the curtain up from the bottom. And that thing was disappearing from the bottom up. The Statue of Liberty is still right here. And it just went boop. And then the last second, he took the curtain up this way and went and dropped it. And it was gone. Uh, it was one of the greatest stage illusions. I've, and still to this day, one of the greatest I've ever seen. And so after it was over, I walked up to him and I said, hi, Ken, I know you don't know me, but I would like to just have 15 minutes of your time. Uh, I will fly to wherever you are. I will, I'll pay for it. I will pay you for your time. I didn't ask for something for free yeah. and said, if you will just sit down and just teach me a few things. And the reason I'm wanting to do this is because of this. He looked at me and said, will you do A and B? And I said, yes, I will. And before I ever talked to him again, I accomplished A and B because I wanted him to know I was serious about it. And then after that, he began to teach me. And that door through him opened up doors to meet other very significant magicians. The guy that taught me close up was a three-time world champion in close up magic. And is today, he's considered the greatest teacher of magic that's out there anywhere. His name's Michael Lamar. And uh, Michael Lamar is just is phenomenal. But found out that I love to go to Disney and he he lived in Orlando and I went, well, I'm there anyway. And so I just made contact with him and said, Hey, same exact speech. I'd love to learn. Uh, I'll pay you for your time. Will you be willing to teach me? And graciously he was. And so that's how it happened. Yeah. That's such an important lesson. So I got to ask, are you able to say what, what was a and B that you had to do? Uh, well, it was different. It was different for them. Uh, with Michael, it was, I had to learn there's, um, there's an effect that I do. The effect is over 3000 years old. It dates back to ancient Egypt and it is called the cups and balls. It's where, and a lot of people have seen this where there are these cups there and the balls are underneath the cups and they disappear and reappear, all that kind of thing. And it was Houdini who's still arguably the most famous magician ever, Harry Houdini. I mean, he's been dead over a hundred years and people still talk Everybody about it. Everybody knows his name. Yeah. yeah. Um, or not over a hundred years almost, but anyway, um, Houdini said, is there, he was asked, is there anything for the magician that would be similar to what scales are for the musician? 
and scales are fundamental for anybody doing music. And Houdini said, yes, the cups and balls. And he said, I consider no man to be a magician until he can uh, adequately perform this effect. And so I decided I wanted to learn that. And so Michael gave me uh, two or three different, they're called sleight of hand moves, which sleight of hand, you know, the hand is quicker than the eye, uh, is not quite an accurate description, but it is what magicians use to describe it. But he gave me two particular moves that he wanted me to learn that I did do and that I showed to him. And then after that, he gave me the, well, here's the effect. And then it was seven months of rehearsal, learning that effect. And then I went back and showed him. And when I showed him, there was one part that I had learned completely wrong. I mean, I just, it was bad. And he looked at it. It was funny. He's looking at it. What was that right there? I said, well, that was your, your thing. He went, not even close. And then I had to go back and I had to completely unlearn. Oh man. That for me is extremely difficult because when you're doing sleight of hand, a lot of it is muscle memory. And I just, I had to go back and what I had learned, I had to completely undo. And that, so I did not show that effect to anybody for two years. Wow. Where were you in your life at that point? Like, were you working? Did you have a job? And then you just yeah. took off and you, so, so you had this job and then you saw this and you just said, I'm going to take time off of work and I'm going to invest this money that maybe yeah. you couldn't afford or could you afford? And then I'm going to go, I'm, I'm breaking the sound because these are so many of the common places where people stop because, right. you know, they'll see it. A, they won't make that leap to contact the person. B, they'll find out I have to pay to contact that person or go, see, I got to take time off work. I have a family, I have a kid. Here's all these reasons why I can't do it. And they just stop. Right. So. Married with three kids working in a church. Wow. The- see, and I, I, I love this because once again, it's, such a valuable lesson, right? If you want it, you, you don't stop. You don't get up against that wall and stop, right? You have to just find a way to push through it. And your wife was down with this. She's like, yes, honey, I got this. Yeah. She's like, That's you know, awesome. do this. Yeah. And I think she saw the value in it. You, you have to, you have to be, have people around you. There's got to be a support group. Yeah. Um, for you. And I know some people that's, that's their family, others, they have close friends, significant others. Uh, so you, you have to have that support of those people to push through and do this because it's not going to be easy. Uh, and you know, I love the movie, a league of their own. Uh, yeah. I've seen that movie or not, but the very end of that movie, when this, uh, Gina Davis it's Gina Davis, Tom Hanks are talking and she's the best player in the women's baseball league. And she quits before the big game. And Tom Hanks looks at her and says, well, you're quitting, just walking out like this. And she said, it just got too hard. And I love the line that he says there is so significant. He says, the hard, it's supposed to be hard. If it was easy, everybody would do it. The hard is what makes it great. Anything worth doing like this, it's going to be hard work. But the hard is what makes it great. Yeah, so very true. And um, thank you for like letting me go down that path with you when you, when oh, yeah. you went there. Because it's just, you know, being out there and doing it and knowing it. I, I look back at so many times over the years where I came up against that and just stopped, right? Because all the external things I led myself to believe. You're listening to the American Snippets Podcast. 
Hey, what's up? Dave Brown here again. And real quick before we get back to the podcast episode and interview with Ken Harley, I have a few questions for you. Do you believe in the American dream? Do you believe that America is still the land of opportunity? Do you support all the brave men and women who serve to protect our freedoms? Are you actively pursuing your own dreams and goals? Or maybe you're ready to finally dust off those dreams and start living the life that you once imagined for yourself. If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then we want you to join us in Washington, D.C., April 17th and 18th for the Great American Summit. It's a -a one-of-a-kind, life-changing event, and net proceeds from the entire event go to veteran, military family, police, and first responder charities. And right now, for a limited time only, you can get tickets up to 65% off. So after this podcast is over, make sure you go to greatamericansummit.com to learn more and to reserve your seat. I can't wait to see you there. Now let's get back to this week's episode with Ken Hartley. So now you're, you went from speaking or performing at a Sunday school and your high school reunion, which I'm hoping was a moment of blazing triumph for you, by the way. Um. The high school reunion was pretty amazing. I got got one of my former high school friends that she had known me literally since second grade. And had no idea I did this stuff. And I pulled yeah. her up on the stage and I levitated her. That's uh, amazing. That's like every dream yeah. of everybody in high school. Yeah. And she just, you know, she That's freaked great. out. It was great. I passed a hoop over her, the whole thing. Yeah. And the classmates jumped up on their feet and were just cheering. And uh, it, it was it was pretty cool. That's awesome. I know there's a lot of things probably people in high school dream of doing to other people, you know, like I'm going to make you disappear and all that stuff. Right. But you got to, you got to just pick that girl up and levitate. And she had no idea how you did it. None. That's amazing. At the end of the day, you know, I said, now, if you just, please don't tell anybody how I did that. And knowing, you know, I I said it on. She had no idea. Yeah. Yeah, And she looked and she went, I have no clue. (laughs) How did you do it? Tell me, please tell me. Well, if you don't know after that, I can't tell you. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. No, you have to pass the test. You're not in the club if you don't know. If I levitate <laughs> you and you don't know how, you're not in. Yeah, that's it. Uh, all right. So you went from the Sunday school to the high school reunion to speaking in front of 30,000 students in Texas a month or so ago. And mm-hmm. then Mike Huckabee's show. When you're, I mean, you're out there. You go to Israel. I saw you singing in Israel, which was amazing. By the way, that's quite... The, quite the leap and over a span of how many years. So talk now about some of the stages you're on now, and then we'll go back into a little bit more of the growth process and how you got, and why you do it. Why do you feel compelled to do so? Well, I, I think it was Mark Twain who said the two most important days of a person's life is, uh, the two most important things they discover is, let's say the, uh, the two most important things they know when they were born, and then the reason why. That's the second thing. Okay. Uh, so when you begin to discover your purpose, that's what drives everything. Your why is paramount. Because how, and what well, goes back again, I can tie right back to the illusions. How to do an illusion is not difficult in most cases. Uh, there is hard work involved, but how to do it, just telling it, it's nothing. Uh, why you do it is the most important thing. And whatever a person's doing, they're listening to this. They've got a passion for something that is what's going to drive them the why that's behind it. So that's, what's driven me because my why is I exist to help other people fulfill their God given purpose. 
And it was a um, Forbes study that said 88% of people hate their job. 88%. I believe it. 88%. That means they're doing something they completely despise. They're not fulfilling their life purpose. And so I see myself as a transformation agent. My job is to go in and help that person understand their purpose and then help them see that even though in their mind, it's impossible for me to get from here to here, it really is possible. They really can do it if they choose to step out and do it. There are certain life choices that we make that compound. And so going to those stages and talking to young people like we did, you know, in, in far Texas and McAllen with, uh, you know, 30,000 people there, uh, we're going to replicate some of those events next year with Nick, uh, Vujicic, who is uh, just, Amazing. oh my <laughs> yes. goodness. Yeah. Ridiculous. Are you kidding me? This guy is yeah. so phenomenal. Yeah. And so getting to do some things with him again, uh, and listening to inspirational stories like that, those are things that change you. And so that's my goal. I don't want to spend my time necessarily just entertaining. I want to spend my time, the entertainment value, helping change people's lives. By the time I leave there, I do not want them to be the same as the, they were when they walked in the door. Yeah. And that's can sound vague, right? But it's actually very specific and it's uh, not easy to do. You know, there's a difference between people who have a story to tell and people who can tell the story and tell it in a way that makes a difference, you know, that hits the, hits the mark. And, um, and stories, and by the way, your story is extraordinary. Yeah. I want to tell you that I, I love your yeah. story. It is absolutely extraordinary. Uh, yeah. and being able to tell that story in such a way, you know, that's why people have, you know, this is the biography of so-and-so written by this person. Right. right. There has to be a compelling way for people to engage that story and go, Oh, that's interesting. That's fascinating because I've watched I'm a history nerd. I've watched things on biography that are boring. And then I've seen some that are great. And, but I've also seen, uh, people who uh, they make movies of their lives and the master storytellers go in and weave this movie and the details of the person's life in such a way that make it compelling. Yes. You want to know what's going to happen next. It, those are great. Like, um, I think, uh, one of the fantastic movie makers I think is Clint Eastwood, Oh my gosh. Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's great. And, uh, telling, uh, the American sniper story, you know, that's the way it was framed and told was just, it was phenomenal. Yeah, it was good. And I'm like, I talked to Taya cause she's a friend of mine and she's like, she'll just casually be like, yeah, you know, so I'm in the kitchen and Clint Eastwood there and Bradley Cooper's there and we're talking. I'm like, Shut up, Taya. Just, <laughs> I love you, but shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And I say that with love, you know, but. Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah, know, that's just great. But, you know, it's natural. And I think I was glad that he did that because, you know, that's uh, important. They're all important stories, but it was good to see how he handled that so respectfully and so delicately and so, so powerfully. Gran Torino is another one I could watch 900 times. Just uh, powerful, right? But I digress. Okay, so. You ever meet somebody you shouldn't mess with? That's just that yeah. look on his face. Yes. You know, but he can only, I mean, that just that. Right. Gal he gives, it's just, it says multitudes. It's so yeah. good. Classic. There will never be another Clint Eastwood ever. Yeah. All right. I had these notes here. Um, American Dream Magic. So, okay. So now you're on these stages for 30,000 people and you're on Mike Huckabee, but you also go into corporations. I do. And you talk about, um, you know, somebody is listening and they're in the corporate world. 
either as a leader in the corporate world or, you know, as an employee in the corporate, whatever level of management or whatever level they're at in the corporate world, why do they want to hear from Ken Hartley? Wow. Oh, well, okay. Uh, <laughs> I go in and I teach yeah. leadership and personal growth and communication. Those are the yeah. three big areas. And so leadership is obviously near and dear to my heart. Personal growth is fundamental because if you don't grow personally, then nothing else matters. As you grow, so goes the rest of everything else. But communication is a huge one in corporations. This is where I'm seeing a large deficit right now because people don't realize they think they're saying something and they don't realize people are not hearing them. Communication is never a one-way thing. Communication is always a loop. That means it has to come back to you in such a way where you know the person heard you, understood you, and responds in a way that says, yes, I got all that. I can look at your audience right now and I can say to your audience, um, or I can say, which is Arabic and Hebrew, or I can say, um, which probably more people got. Or I can say, can I please have a bottle of water in English, which is what all of those were. I had a friend of mine, his, his pastor friend, we're in Nicaragua together. And the, there's a convenience store there. And the way the culture's set up, the person's house is, is also the convenience store. And they realize my friend is the pastor and leader of this group of about 50 people. And there's such a culture of honor that they ask him to come uh, back behind the counter and into their little courtyard with the fountain. It was beautiful back there. And they, it was hot there. They pulled up a lazy boy chair outside and then put a fan on him and gave him a diet Coke and, you know, just wanted to honor him. And so he looks at the lady and says, your, your house is beautiful. And the lady looks back at him and goes, cause she doesn't speak any English at all. Uh, okay. yeah. And then he looks at her and goes, um, you, house beautiful and i looked at him i went hey man say it slower she's gonna get it the next time buddy <laughs> and i finally looked at her and i said uh, so esta muy bonita and she went oh gracias gracias didn't matter how slowly he said it how loudly he said it if you're not speaking the same language it doesn't matter in corporations they're speaking two different languages sometimes three and four uh, and i i'm a student of the disc model of human behavior and every one of those temperaments, D-I-S-C, speak a completely different language. And if you don't speak that language with your people, you're going to have a huge attrition rate. Your productivity is going to bottom out because the people don't understand each other. And then if your people begin to understand the language of DISC, they're not only going to understand themselves and the people they work with, they're going to understand the clients as well, which all of that translates into raised productivity. So that's what I do in corporations. That's huge, you know, and I think... Maybe um, if more corporations or more companies did that, I don't have experience personally in the corporate world. I have worked, you know, for small, I've worked for the county government, county government. So, you know, that's a whole, yeah, um, we'll just leave that there. But um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it. Come on. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, like smaller places and I've managed it. And I, I know like even on the level that I work at and I have friends that work for corporates or in school districts or whatever. and. It's like everybody's screaming a different thing. Everybody's after a different goal and they don't realize that like everybody's goal is supposed to be the same, but you have to, yeah, navigate those waters carefully. And I think that's probably a gift. I mean, imagine, I think a company that is just up against a wall and wondering why, and then maybe you come in and you just kind of 
it can, maybe it sounds so simple in hindsight, like, oh, you know, I get, but sometimes you need the simple is so clouded and blocked by all these complications and you just can't see it. And you need somebody to kind of blow that fresh, fresh air in and, and open it up and kind of expose that path that was there the whole time, but they just didn't understand how to find it. Um, so I think that's, that's huge. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the disc you have, you know, the D, which is the decisive decision maker, dominant person. Uh, the, I, I call them more driven than I do dominant. Dominant sounds like, you know, it's a, a bad thing. And, but driven is really who they more are. The I personality is the inspiring one. There's the life of the party, the fun one everybody loves and wants to be around. Uh, the S personality is truly the one everybody loves. They're supportive. They're, they have a great servant heart. They want peace on the borders. Why can't we all just get along together? Why is there all this fighting? And then the C personality is the detailed person that said, man, I have to fix everything. Everybody screws up because they don't do details and they don't understand how things work. But the truth is those corporations need every one of those people to work properly. You just have to make sure those people are in their proper place in the organization, which is what ends up messing things up uh, is when you have, it's what Jim Collins in his book, Good to Great said, you have the right person on the right bus, but they're in the wrong seat. That has to be fixed. All right. Speaking of books, you have one that you have just released. Yes. Let's, let's hear it. Let's... I have a copy there right here. There it is. There it is. Illusions. I know uh, Mike Huckabee said that is a great book and it's a fun book and yeah. so yeah. what led you to write it what is you know what are some concepts in it Was leadership it illusions is 21 things people believe about leadership that are not true then the 21 things i will tell you is a nod to my mentor in leadership who is dr john maxwell who wrote the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership now these are not the 21 irrefutable laws of leadership they're different from that i won't make that clear but yeah. uh, the the book itself, I realized there were a lot of things people believed about leadership that are not true. And this, again, in corporate, this is in, in nearly every organization, people, there are certain things they believe and go, well, I think this, and it's just simply not true. One of them is, well, I have a title, therefore I'm a leader. They think people are going to respect the fact that they have CEO, COO, president, executive, whatever behind their name, and nobody respects that at all. Nobody does, uh, especially the day and age that we're living in right now. There is, I remember uh, growing up that even after the age of, of Richard Nixon, that there was still somewhat of a fundamental respect for the office of president. Yeah. Doesn't matter, Democrat, Republican. Yeah. It's just not there anymore. People don't respect titles. What people do respect is true leadership and true leadership is not title. True leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. That's what leadership is. So if a person operates from influence, they can be at the top of the organization, the middle, or they can be at the very bottom. And we've seen this play out. You know, people will, there's somebody that has a position, a title, but when something happens, other people will go to this person in the organization and go, what do you think about this? That's because they have influence. They are leading from their position. Uh, my, like I said, my mentor, Dr. Maxwell, wrote a book called The 360-Degree Leader, which is leading from wherever you are. And uh, he, he said he almost titled that book, Follow Me, I'm Right Behind You, <laughs> which is, I thought was brilliant. That's a brilliant title, yeah. Great title. <laughs> uh, but that's a big illusion that you have to have a position. Well, people say all the time, I'm not really a leader. Yes, you are. You are a leader. 
because you influence people every single day of your life. Most you, some, almost everybody has somebody they influence and that is the essence of leadership. So that's one example of an illusion. Very cool. Where can people get that book? They can get it at leadershipillusions.com. Excellent. And I'm going to throw this in before we get to the last couple of questions that um, if you're listening to this and you're inspired to leave a review or a comment on it, tag it, or take a screenshot and send it to support at American Snippets, I will personally reach back out to the first 10 people who do that, order this book from Ken and send it right to you as uh, our way of Thank you for your support and passing it on, spreading the message of, of our guests who we wouldn't have, we wouldn't take the time to feature people if we didn't strongly believe in them and their impact and all this. So we like to back that up with action and spread that impact too. So if you will give me the name, the names of those people. Yeah. I will gladly sign the book to them as well. Perfect. Thanks, man. All right. So let's go a little bit forward and to the questions that I really also love asking. Start with just a plain old fun one first. If there's somebody in this world that I could bring, like deliver to your house in the next hour and you could spend the rest of the day hitting up and hanging out with someone you've never met, who would that be? Somebody that I've never met. Yeah. That's always the hard part. Yes. And and somebody that's alive, obviously. Yes. Okay. Um, Let me think that I have never... Because I met a lot of people. <laughs> so, I know. But, uh, <laughs> let me think. Somebody I would really, really love to meet would be um, Anthony Robbins. I've never met okay. him. And so I'd like to spend, yeah. And I, I mean, I probably would come out of there with my hair on fire. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I would love to, to meet him. And yeah, that All would right. be, because uh, I think he would, he's, he's so good at taking people to another level. Yeah, I'd say so. See, that's a fun question to ask and it gets people thinking, right? And yeah, you really did. I didn't expect that. That's great. I know. And on occasion, I'm like, I'll know someone who knows someone who knows someone and I can like, you know, whatever. But it's just fun. It and I always, I always file that away. Huh? <laughs> yeah. All right, Clint. I file, you know, I just file it away and bring it back out when I need it. Okay. So what we do here and why we do it relates back to a little bit of a blog post I saw you did and I loved it. Like how you... Um, made yourself, you just committed to not watch the news anymore when you realized the negative impact it was having on you. I was like, I could have written that myself because it is exactly what uh, realization I came to when I realized I was like heading up and then I was heading back down. I didn't know why. And it was all that I was just absorbing all the things. And for me, it made me feel like our family sacrifice was just pointless because nobody was using any of these opportunities and all that. So I get that. Right. And so Part of what we do now is to build up and reinforce the fact that the American dream is still very much alive, very unique to everybody, has their own exact, has their own version of it, which is the key point, um, and is accessible for anybody. So I like to ask, like, what is your own version, your own definition of the American dream? The American dream that I still very much believe in today is the ability to accomplish your dreams, your purpose in life, have the ability to do it and give yourself the freedom to do that. I think freedom exists as Americans to give us the ability to do our own thing. There is a, there's a mentality of the government exists to give you something 
I'm a, I'm a believer that the government exists to provide you the freedom to do it yourself. And you have that. Uh, I think America is the greatest country in the world. And I know that's arrogant from some people maybe outside watching this to say, yeah. but I believe it with all my heart. And I don't see other people have climbing walls to get into other countries, but they do that here in America because of the opportunity that's here. For anybody that's willing to work hard, it doesn't matter race, religion, creed, color, it doesn't matter any of that. You can accomplish it and you can do it if you're willing to pay the price to do it. And that to me is the American dream. Awesome. All right. Remind us all again where to go to, to ping you, to talk about you coming to speak at an event or getting some of your leadership lessons. You have a lot of different services that you offer. So where can everybody find out about that? That is at Hartley, H-A-R-T-L-E-Y, leadership.com. HartleyLeadership.com. You can contact me there. My email is Ken at HartleyLeadership.com. That comes directly to me. And I would love to come to your, your event. I'd love to come to your organization, add value. Um, I'm doing a lot of that right now. Things are, are flying and it's, it's a lot of fun, but it never gets tiring. It, that is something that energizes me. I enjoy it. I never get tired of meeting people and adding value to their life. And the greatest thing is when I see somebody say, hey, Ken, I have now stepped into a new role. And this has happened uh, actually in the last three weeks. I've had two different people who have said, I was in this role and I've just gotten a promotion or I just interviewed and I just am now doing this. And that's a result of me reading this or going through a class with you or talking with you. And that never gets old. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's it's awesome. Cool. That's huge. And what a great reward. You know, that mm -hmm. kind of gives you the fire to keep going. Ken, thank you so much, really, for just being so much fun and for taking the time to sit down to trust us with your story and to reach out to our community. We love all of it. So thanks. I am thrilled and honored to be here with you. And I look forward to being on stage with you again because you're awesome. Yeah. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. That wraps up another episode of American Snippets. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I'd like to personally thank Ken Hartley for being here as well and sharing his story. If you want to learn more about Ken Hartley and visit his website and connect with him on social media, make sure you visit us at americansnippets.com. Check out the featured article of the week with uh, Ken Hartley. Watch the video interview. Uh, and again, we'll include those social media links there as well. Uh, if you got any value out of today's episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Share this podcast with a friend uh, and share one of your favorite episodes or this episode uh, on social media. Again, we appreciate you being here today. Now go out there and show the world how exceptional you truly are. We'll see you next week.